have joined us uh, for our kickoff of First Peter. If you have a copy of God's Word, I want to turn your attention to the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew. And so some of y'all are like, Matthew, I thought we were studying Peter. You'll, it'll understand, uh, it'll make sense here in a minute, okay? So I want you to find the Gospel of Matthew. That's in the New Testament. If you're new to the Bible, if you just hit the middle of the Bible, keep going towards the end. Uh, you'll go to Malachi, which is a small book you probably won't find. But then Matthew, which is my first name, but my mama calls me Chad. That, I don't know. Anyway, so y'all will get that, uh, uh, y'all will find Matthew chapter 16 here in a minute. Now, your name can mean a lot to a person, right? Like some of y'all, y'all have a name that was given to you and it was like your great-great-grandfather's name or something. And, and your name can mean a lot to you. Uh, but also in our culture, names really don't have the weight that they uh, may have in another culture. But really in our culture, what, what defines us, so I asked, who are you? And most of you gave me your name. But the reality is what, what defines you is, is really not your name so much as it, as it is what you do. You know what I'm saying? Like there's a lot of things that maybe we brought in here tonight that really define us. And I, and I brought a couple of items to help uh, demonstrate this. So the first thing is, um, who's ready for baseball season, by the way? Yeah, man. Hey, I'm excited. And so I've never been to a Royals game. Um, and so that's going down at the tailgate. And uh, in the game, they're playing the Twins. And, and the many Twins don't want none. I'm telling you. I'm coughing for life. I bleed blue, right? <laughs> Didn't you just move here like in December? Yes. All right. <laughs> But, uh, man, some of y'all are like, some of y'all walked in here tonight and you are so excited about baseball season because you know what happens with baseball season is the tailgate, right? And so, like, you're so fired up for the tailgate and you, like, you relish in the tailgate, right? And so maybe you walked in here and, and like, your, um, your, your memories of the tailgate from last season are getting you excited about the tailgate this season because, you, you, know, you know how it is. You like to get a cold beer in your hand. Uh, you like to get at the tailgate and then begin to brag about how good you were. And, uh, you know, back in the day, and like you, like, so your entire work week is just like, you're, you're thinking, okay, Friday's coming, Friday, and then there's a game Saturday, and I'm going to go get turn at the tailgate, and I'm going to be awesome because I'm the boss at beer pong or at washers or whatever it is, and you're living for the tailgate, and maybe that's your identity. Maybe that's where you find yourself. Like, you are the all-star tailgater. Like, you got MVP in 2016 on the tailgate, and it's just amazing. Or some of you here are uh, living for the relationship status. Right, like you find your identity in your relationship status, and so some of you, like, you cannot wait to update your relationship status because you hate him, right? And so you're like, I can't wait to be single again, right? Or, or you're, you're like, I, but no, I, I'm tired of being single. I can't wait to be able to update that relationship status. Let's just be honest. Have you ever just made up a relationship before? <laughs> Don't look at your neighbor if you're like, girl, you did that last year. I remember. And, you know, you like look at that person you went to high school with or across the room, like, I remember you did that. You're such a loser. I'm just kidding. Anyway, so like your relationship that so many people find their identity and, and really not so much their name, but in their relationship status. And they, they think that um, if they're in a relationship, then they're really somebody and we're going to be something special and that sort of thing. Or um, some of y'all find your status and identity in something that's related to this. Like, like your sexuality and, and your decision to, to be like a, you know, a, a person that likes to do things with these sort of things um, has, has got your identity. And, and here's the thing, like maybe it's not your sexuality, maybe it's your sexual preference. Like maybe you've come in here and, and you're professing a, to be a homosexual and we're glad you're here. Um, but oftentimes that, that um, decision becomes your whole identity from what I understand from the people that I know that are 
that are, in, uh, that are homosexuals or bisexuals or even transgender. Like they, that becomes so much of, of who they are. They're defined by what they do, not really their name that they brought in, but it's something that they, that they do. Or, or check this out, a lot of us have come in here tonight and we've made some very poor sexual decisions. And so we're carrying around some guilt or some label, uh, some name tag that maybe we picked up a nickname in, in high school or, or in college because of some decisions we did with this. And, and that's become our identity in some ways because we did some things that maybe we regretted in our past. Or, or a lot of us, y'all come here, I know, I know a lot of us, like, you're defined by this. Like, you're defined, in, especially in America, man, we, we are not so much um, proud of our family heritage, some of us are, but most of us are proud of what we do. Like, I'm a welder. I know you don't wear, wear or carry one of these if you're a welder, but, but, but our career, like, you know, young professors, you come here and you're, man, you're really just giving yourself over to be the best teacher you can be or be the best nurse you can be or, man, I'm about to, I'm about to change the whole game in the legal system because I'm a lawyer and I made this on my LSAT and I've got a full, whatever it is. And so you started finding your identity in uh, your workplace. And man, this is so common, like, I, I mean, and, it, and it's so normal, but oftentimes we build our identity not really based upon uh, the name that we were given, uh, but we build our identity based upon what we do. But names, they can have a lot of weight in our culture. And we just got off of an eight-week series called Adulting, where we really gave handles to some of these things like your sexuality and your relationship statuses, or, or really gave some handles to this, this idea that, that, that we want to carry God to work with us and how that looks practically. And if you, um, if you have any interest in getting that information, man, we would love to, uh, for you to chime in on our podcast, the Paradigm Podcast, and, and go back and listen to some of those adulting messages. Man, they were really, really helpful uh, just to navigate this quarter life crisis that a lot of us find ourselves in. And, uh, and so, man, uh, learn how to access those resources and really get into it. But tonight, I want to turn your attention to an ancient letter. And the letter that we're going to look at tonight is really going to be a letter that we, um, that we unpack for the next several weeks. And the guy that wrote the letter, man, the, the name that he had, um, man, it meant so much to him. Because the name that he was given was a name that was given to him by his creator. Like, once we understand the guy that wrote this letter, and, and we understand, like, where his, his name comes from and, and his vantage point because of, really, his identity that was rooted to his name. Like, I mean, this guy, like, the, the name that was given to him is, it was given to him by his master. The name that was given to him was given to him, like, like by his coach, by his mentor, by his friend, by, by that guy. Like, some of y'all have that guy in your life that you're like, man, this guy, like, I get nervous around him because he's so awesome. You know, and, and like, you just want to be like him. And, and you just look up to him, you're like, man, if I could just do like, like, this guy, this guy had that, that hero that he looked up to, and that hero gave him this name. Like, the, the, the language that he would use later on in his life, even as an old man, is he would say, like, like, this guy, I am so unworthy even to be affiliated with him because he's so awesome and I'm not. Like, the guy that we're going to be looking at um, over the next few weeks, um, like, he got this name from this guy that he would say, if he was here tonight, he would say, this guy, like, he changed my life. Like, he would say it like this. He would say, this guy that gave me this name that, I, that everyone knows me by now, he, he's my savior. And so his name means so much. And, and what we see in, in 1 Peter, when he starts 1 Peter chapter 1, and we'll get there in just a second, is he starts out with this. And you can see it on the screen behind me. He just says that he busts out and he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter, an apostle 
of Jesus Christ. And oftentimes the details in the scripture, we just kind of gloss through those and, and we don't really pay much attention to the introduction. But I believe if we can really unpack this guy, like how did he get the name Peter? And we can really unpack um, his name and then the significance that that, that, that means to him. And, and we can understand like the identity and the security that comes from, from this name that it was given to him by this guy that he would say was his savior. I think we're going to learn a lot from this guy named Peter. But before we jump in, I want to take you back to how he got his name. So you were in Matthew chapter 16. And uh, before you uh, really get there, I'm going to point you Matthew chapter 16. I think we're going to start in verse 13. But I want to tell you a story before we get there. Is that okay? You want to hear a story? Say, yeah. I've got a mic. Yeah, you're here. So might as well hear it, right? Man, one of the darkest places I've ever been to, and I led students here, I, I led high school students to this place, was, was a brothel. We went to Houston, Texas, and Houston is one of the, one of the hubs for trafficking people. So a brothel is a place where um, people buy sex. And so we went to this brothel. Now, the brothel had been recently shut down by a ministry called Elijah Rising. And they had, they had taken ownership of this brothel. They had done some investigation um, and exposed that this place was selling sex. And they took the, the evidence to the landlord, and the landlord said, hey, I don't want that in my, my building and uh, he kicked the tenants out, and, but he, he contacted Elijah Rising. He said, hey, would you guys like to uh, um, inhabit this office space for a, for a fourth of the price? And they said, you know what? What would keep it fresh on our minds? I mean, we can't imagine anything more than for us to have a headquarters in a brothel that we helped shut down. And so they said, yeah, we'll take it. And so we led kids, and we got to go in this brothel that had been recently shut down. I mean, it had been shut down um, for uh, just a few weeks by the time we get in there. And, man, when you go to a dark place, like, there's just something that, that, is, that is tangible. Like, like I don't want to be, like, freaky, kooky, weird. But there's, like, a spiritual, weird kind of feeling in that place. It's kind of like when you go into, like, a middle school a boys' restroom and you just feel gross. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you can just feel the spirit of grossness in that place. Like, you know, and, and so, like, when we walked in there, like, you could just feel um, this, and the only, I can't really put words to it, but you just felt like this, this darkness. Because you could imagine, like, we, we came in through the back door and you saw showers. And then you walked down this hallway and on the right was this holding room where, where multiple women lived. And, and then you walked in... Uh, down the hallway and into the front room where customers would come in through the front entrance. And, and you saw on the floor where the ATM machine was once there where men would come in and they would put their debit cards in and they would get cash to pay for a girl. And then you saw like this viewing room. It was like there was like a window and then they would bring girls out of their living quarters and they would line them up on the wall, shoulder to shoulder. Like, like a man at, a, at, at the deli of a grocery store. I'll take that one. And then, then you walk past the rooms where he would have been led to, and like you just like you get so overwhelmed with this darkness. And, and, and what I've learned is that it's sometimes in the darkest places that Jesus makes his most profound revelations. Because, man, high school students were so profoundly impacted in that moment that they went back to their hometowns and they started advocacy groups to help raise awareness and pray for this great offense that has taken place in our generation called human trafficking. And he struck me in that moment that I would live for justice and I would be a voice for the voiceless. 
And Jesus has this way of teaching us it in, in these most profound revelations uh, uh, when we get in these dark, dark places. And I love this because Jesus has this ragtag group, like these 12 young adult men. Uh, you can only imagine what kind of smells were with these guys. You can only imagine what kind of jokes. But Jesus was on a mission, man. He called these 12 guys and he said, look. I'm going to change the world with y'all. And, and so Jesus had three years to input so much and download so much information to these guys. And so he's journeying with these young adult men. And he takes them to this place that was equivalent to a modern-day brothel. It was a very dark place. It was a, a, a place, it was a grotto. There's going to be a picture that pops up in a second. And it was, uh, the place is in Caesarea Philippi. And, and this grotto, this cave with water would come in. This is where the god of Pan was worshipped. And the god of Pan was... Um, was kind of seen as a, a bloodthirsty God. So a lot of sacrifices taking place here. And uh, people would sacrifice their children. They would sacrifice other people. They would sacrifice animals. And, and the water would come in and there's kind of a, a bottomless cave, so to speak, at the bottom of this grotto. And so they believed that that was a portal to hell. And so they thought that um, if the water washed that thing down, hell, then, down to hell, then, then Pan had received the sacrifice. And so Jesus says, hey, um, have your mom and dad sign your release waiver and let's go to Caesarea Philippi on a little youth trip. And so um, he takes them to Caesarea Philippi and this is where we pick up in our text tonight or one of our texts tonight. This is Matthew chapter 16 starting in verse 13. And he says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, um, uh, who do people say that the Son of Man is? This is a reference that Jesus uses that Ezekiel used as well, Son of Man to refer to himself. And they said, well, uh, some say that you're John the Baptist, this is Jesus' cousin. Others say you're Elijah, this is kind of a hero in the Old Testament. Others, Jeremiah, he was a, or one of the prophets. And then Jesus turns to them and he says, but who do you say that I am? So Jesus was kind of wanting to get the word on the street, but then he wanted to make it very personal. And, and that's how Jesus works, man. Like oftentimes Jesus, like he has this way of kind of getting kind of some general things. He'll kind of get you in a general vicinity. He maybe get you in a crowd. But then Jesus, I, it just, it's unexplainable. I can't, I can't really unpack scientifically how the spirit of God will get very personal with you. But if you're a believer tonight, you know. And maybe you're here, maybe you got duped into coming here tonight. Like maybe you weren't really up to uh, what's happening with the baseball season. And so like one of your, like this cute girl or this good looking guy or one of your buddies or one of your sisters uh, went up to you and was like, hey, do you want to go to a Royals tailgate? And you're like, yeah, man, that sounds awesome. Kansas City Royals tailgate. And y'all showed up here and you're like, man, this isn't, is this Kaufman? You're like, no, we're having a Royals tailgate at church. Come on in, man. You're here. Let's, come on. Let's meet some people. You're like, okay, you know. And maybe you're not a believer. Like maybe you, the whole Jesus thing, it just kind of freaks you out a little bit or you're, you know, smarter than, I don't know. But maybe you're not a believer and, and maybe you come in here and you got some general ideas of, of who God is. Then maybe tonight, I don't know, but God may be tonight providentially. Maybe he's trying to get personal with you and move you from a general idea of, who God could be or what you've heard that he is to saying, hey, who do you say that I am? See, faith is a very personal thing. Jesus has respect for you as an individual. And Jesus wants you to come to a conclusion. See, God doesn't have any grandchildren. You can't inherit faith. God only has children. 
And he wants you to come to the conclusion where you have made a decision to follow Christ. And Jesus is, he is graciously pressing these guys. He says, who do you say that I am? <laughs> I love this. And he, it says this, and um, moving on, it says, now Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ. And that, that had a lot of significance. Christ, not a common word we use, but that meant like you are the one we've been waiting for. You're the Christ. You're the champ. You're the hero. You're the one we heard about. He says, the son of the living God. And then Jesus says, shh. Peter, oh, you know, he's like celebrating, he's like dabbing with Peter, and he's like, high five Peter, you got it right, way to go Pete, Pete, you my boy, and, and, he's, he, and he says, like, he says this, he says, now, blessed are you, he says, happy are you, man, you are favored, and he says, Simon Bar-Jonah, which means, Bar means son of, Simon, your daddy's name's Jonah, for, I don't know why they talk like that, but anyway, for flesh and blood was not re- has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. See, everything that we know about God is a gift, man. The, the, the Spirit of God, like, we, like, there's some things that just, like, y'all ever have that grew moment? You know, grew from despicable me? Light bulb. You know that moment? <laughs> All the children at heart, y'all, y'all with me right now? Where, where, like, it just, like, it just makes, oh, you're like, oh, that makes sense now. Like the Spirit of God, he does the big Bible word, and it's this, that he illuminates the truth. He illuminates it in your heart. And there's some things maybe you've heard them your whole life, but then for some reason at some time somebody came up and said, hey, man, Jesus loves you. And you're like, I've been hearing that my whole life, but what would you say? And it changed you because the Spirit of God revealed it to you. And we see that Jesus is trying to point to Peter. He's like, Peter, like, like you don't need to boast in this revelation, but, but blessed are you, man. If you know God, you are blessed. He's like, again, he's celebrating. He's like, yes, that is, that is the right answer. And he goes on, and I love this because here comes the name change. Y'all say change. Here we go. Y'all help me preach tonight. Y'all say change. There you go. He says, I tell you, you are Peter. This is the first time. He says Peter's name to him, and he says, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, which they were at the gates of hell, will not prevail against it. This is kind of a play on words here. Like when he says that you are Peter, the, the Greek word is petros. You are petros, and that just meant stone or rock. And he says, man, you are, you're no longer Simon, son of Jonah. I'm calling you Peter now. I'm calling you petros. And he says, you are, y'all say petros. Y'all so smart speaking Greek and stuff, man. Y'all's amazing. Y'all so just like dignified and intelligent and stuff. It's crazy. Anyway, so he says Petros, and he says this. And on this Petros, y'all say Petros. Man, y'all so good. Petros, I will build my church. Now, this word Petros meant like bedrock or foundation. It meant solid rock. But it was also a metaphor for a man like a rock. Excuse me. All right. So it's also a metaphor. That was a Rocky reference. Sorry. Uh, It's also a metaphor for a man like a rock by his reason of his firmness and strength of soul. Like like we we could say that he's saying that you are a rock and on this boldness by which you have declared you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I'm going to build my church on that kind of boldness. On men and women who bow under the pressures and the hardships of life and say without an apology, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's how I'm going to advance my kingdom. And so he's looking at Peter and he says, your name is no longer Simon, but your name is Peter. 
And I love this because Jesus has this way, God has this way of giving people a new name. And I love that God would give people a new name because what we see in Scripture is when God gives people a new name, it's, it really, it's rooted in an identity change. You know that God wants to speak into your life who he thinks that you are, not who you think you are? You know that God wants to speak some new vision into your life, that some of you may have made some decisions. You may have come in here, broke up, beat up, uh, and, and just banged up, and God's saying, look, that's not your destiny. That's not your finality. I have the first word, and I get the last word. And that Jesus may be trying to speak into you a new name tonight. What we see in the Old Testament, somebody say amen. That's what I'm talking about. What we see in the Old Testament is that God takes this guy, Abram. He's the father of our faith. He's the patriarch of all patriarchs. And his name was Abram, but there was a, a, a specific time in Genesis chapter 17 when Abram was 99 years old. And, he, and God changes his name to Abraham. And Abraham had significant identity change for the man. There's this guy named Jacob. He's like um, Abraham's uh, grandson, and he's also one of the patriarchs of our faith. Like the, when Matthew busts out in his genealogy, he says this is how Abraham began Isaac, and Isaac began Jacob. And Jacob had this profound uh, uh, interaction with God, like where he's wrestling with God on the Jordan, on the bank of the Jordan River. Side note, do y'all know that wrestling with God's not a bad thing? It just means that you're close with him. And sometimes maybe God's wrestling with you tonight. And sometimes he's wrestled with me. And sometimes God is wanting to wrestle with you so that you get up to a place of submission so that he can change your identity. Because out of that, Jacob gets a new name. His name is Israel. And he moves from an old identity, an old tailgate, an old sexual person or whatever it is. I don't know. We all got something. And then Jacob, he gets his name changed to Israel. And I love this because he walks with a limp for the rest of his life. And we love to lead with a limp because we all broke. Ain't nobody perfect in here starting with me. Jesus, he doesn't just stop in the Old Testament. He gets guys like this, this guy named Saul who was like radically persecuting the church. Like he was hating, right? And the church is trying to shake them haters off. And, uh, and it wasn't working because Saul, that's his name in the, old, in the New Testament, Saul was a bad dude, man. And so, um, you know, he was persecuting, breathing threats. And then God met him on the road to Damascus and changed his name, gave him a new identity. And he said, why are you hating on me? Why are you persecuting me? And he was like, who are you? And uh, he says, I'm Jesus. It's time to have a new direction. Jesus loved to change people's names, man. And what we see is that he's changing Peter's name. And rooted in all of these, all of these name changes is an identity change. And Peter is going to say some profound, some profound statements from his identity about our identity as a believer in Christ. And so we call this series Royals. Turn to your neighbor and say Royal. How many of y'all like my wife, uh, you had to take speech growing up? I had to take speech growing up too. I ain't hating. But she, her speech impediment was her R's. And you're like, oh, great, royals. Who can I invite to that series? We're doing a new series called Williams. Like, what? Say it again. Williams. You're like, what? So say it again. What? Anyway, so uh, speech was, mine was my S's. So y'all hear my list here in a minute. Anyway, so uh, we're doing this series called Royals because, man, check this out. Like a beautiful firework exploding on the canvas of a night sky and, and, and bringing illumination to the darkness. Are these profound proclamations that Peter would make about how we are chosen, 
about how we are a holy people, about how we are, check this, royals. So yeah, it's baseball season, but it's Bible season. Hello. And so we're doing a series called Royals. We gave y'all this memory verse right here, and I want to pop it up on the screen and read it to you. Man, we want you to take this home. We want you to own this, and we want it to own you. We want the Bible uh, to become you, okay? Honey is, is good in the cupboard, but it does no good if it stays in the cupboard. It's got to get on the bread and then get in your belly, all right? And so honey is likened to the Word of God. And we want you to labor, John Piper says, labor to memorize Scripture for worship and for warfare. This one verse that we find exploding off the pages in 1 Peter 2, 9 is, it's one of these verses that just gives you rich identity. And then it tells you who you are. Who are you? It tells you who you are. And it tells you what to do. And so here's what it says. Mine says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous lights. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let me do a praise dance real quick. All right, so that's a great verse. You need to take it, put it on your dashboard, put it on your mirror, put it on your forehead, wherever you got to put it so that you can learn that and hide that word in your heart. We want to see you owning God's word, and we want to see God's word owning you. But, so I love this because Peter's going to say these very romantic things like, you're chosen. You're, you're an elect. You're, you're royal. But, but I love that Peter is not disconnected from reality. And so he's going to talk a lot about suffering in this letter as well. And, and there's some animosity and some hostility in our, our church today. Like some people, uh, they, they don't like Christians. And there's good reasons why some people don't like Christians. We, we have brought some of this on ourselves. But, but, but there is just kind of this distaste for the things that we hold valuable. And so um, when it comes to Christianity, this isn't a new thing. And in fact, in this day and age in which Peter is writing, it was, it was a very hostile culture. There was this guy named Nero. Y'all say Nero. Nero was not a hero. Nero was a very bad man. And he lived in about 60 uh, A.D. He was the, the emperor of Rome. Nero was, he thought he was an artist, um, but he, he really was one of those guys that thinks he's an artist. You know, just be patient with those guys. Like, hey, do you like this? Like, yeah. But when you're the emperor, you're like, yeah, it's awesome. Right? But Nero, man, he was jacked up. Like, he had some serious issues. Um, like, he had his uh, wife murdered, um, and then he had his mom murdered. And then um, he, he had this, uh, this servant of his that was a boy, and his name was Sporus. And he had, he had Sporus castrated um, and married Sporus because Sporus kind of looked like his wife that he had murdered. It had, a, had a wedding and everything. Brother's got some issues, all right? Like Dr. Phil would be like, mm, I don't know, all right? I'm going to have to call Jerry. Jerry Springer, where you at? We need some intervention. Nero, he set Rome on fire. And history tells us that he played his, his, uh, his stringed instrument. We call it a violin, but that's not really what it was. But Nero played his violin or his fiddle and danced while Rome burned. After Rome had burned down, he had to pick somebody to blame it on, so he picked the Christians. 
And so Peter is writing a letter in a culture in which the Christians are under heavy persecution from the top. And so what uh, Nero started doing, he started capturing Christians, started putting animal skins on them and having them devoured by wild beasts for entertainment. Nero, what history tells us, is that he would take Christians and he would put uh, pitch and tar on top of them. He would put them on a stake all throughout his garden and light them on fire so that he could have a party at night. Well lit. And so Peter's writing from a frame of reference that most of us don't really understand. And so as we get into the text of Peter writing these profound statements about who we are in Christ, I want you to remember that the people that are hearing this for the first time are like, I think God's forgotten us, Peter. And maybe some of you are coming here tonight and you feel that way as well. Like your world is crumbling down. Let's just be honest. We don't know what everyone's struggle is here tonight, but what we do know is everyone's struggling tonight. And maybe you feel like God's turned his back on you, but you need to remember some things that God wants to say to you. And he's going to draw your attention to some identity shifts in this text. And I want to draw your attention to what Peter, if he was here, he would be saying, look, my name is Peter. Jesus gave me this name. I'm the rock. And I want to tell you how you can be a rock too. Not, not paper, not scissor, uh, but a rock, okay. And so Peter's going to draw our attention to some profound identity things. And I want to turn your attention to 1 Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> and then uh, we're going to go through 1 and 2. So we've already introduced that Peter was an apostle of Jesus Christ, but he tells them, he says, look, you guys are pilgrims, you, you guys are like, you guys are like uh, foreigners in a, in a foreign land, and y'all been dispersed through Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia, and then he comes, so 1 Peter 1, 2, I want you to get there, I'm going to give you time to get there, Peter's towards the end of your Bible, go ahead and find it, we're going to be in this book for a while, so once you find it, we're not going to do that like, oh yeah, go back over here and over here, the Bible's a little bit of a weird book, because it's a collection of letters, okay, so it's, it's, it kind of reads like a book, but it's just kind of got some unique distinctions about it, and so Peter, he wrote a few different epistles, if you go back to the end of Revelation, <clears throat> over here I think, Revelation, and you work your way back towards the beginning of the Bible, you'll find uh, First and Second Peter right there together, First Peter, are you there, say, oh yeah, Okay, that's convincing. Seriously, y'all, that sounded good. And so um, here's what we get. We get in verse 2. It says, uh, I just put the, the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. In the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So Peter, he's wanting us to come to this conclusion of who we are in Christ. He says, look, I'm the rock and I want you to be a rock too. Who are you? You're more than your name. You're more than these things. And Peter would say, like, look, 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 listen, listen, I want you to get this. He would say that, that you need to learn how to rest in his foreknowledge. Foreknowledge is a big Bible word. Uh, in the Greek, it's the word prognosis. And gnosis is the word that means to know. And so what, what Peter is saying is that you need to rest in the foreknowledge of God the Father. That, that he prearranged some things. And guys, let me, let me just tell you this, that God, we believe out of the scripture that God is sovereign, that he makes no mistakes, that God doesn't just predict the future, he's actually in the future calling the shots. And there's some things that he has prearranged for you and I. And when I understood that God has prearranged, that he has chosen, that he has prognosis, that he has prognosed this thing to happen, and when I understand that God has chosen me, man, it changed my identity 100%. 
It was like that one time I was sitting on the couch with, uh, with a girl that I was kind of interested in at the time. And, and uh, you know, like it was one of those relationships where like I was being real flirty but not real direct. Guys, you know what I'm talking about. Don't look at me dumb. And girls, you're like, mm-hmm, yeah, every man up in here want to flirt with me, but they want to tell me they like, you know, you're sorry. Anyway, like I was being real flirty but not real direct because here's the deal, man. I was insecure, and I didn't think I stood a chance with her. And so here's how the conversation went. Um, she was like, hey, we need to talk tonight. I'm like, cool, I like talking to you because you got big lips and stuff, and I like big lips, and I would like to, like, see how your lips and my lips, you know, how they like to hang and stuff. Um, but that hadn't happened yet, so I was like, you know, just maybe, you know, our lips could be friends. So. <clears throat> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding, totally kidding. Uh, anyway, so she's like, we need to talk. I was like, cool, let's talk. And so we sat down on her couch in the living room. She said, look, Chad, um, I need to know what we are. Because I like you. And I was like, you like me? Oh? <laughs> and like literally my stomach, I was like, come on, stomach, go on, big guy up in here, right? You know? I'm going to get bad daggy. <laughs> and she was, and, and I'm like, you know, baby, I mean, I just, you know, like, I mean, just, and, I mean, you just like, you just look at hair and stuff. And, and I, you know, I was thinking about like the, on the, the ceiling and, you know, like this, when we were at the, in the chair and, you know, when we was on, you know, with the, with the, the golf and, uh, <laughs> you know, you'd be saying a lot, but not nothing at all, you know, <laughs> like she was saying, Chad, I choose you. And I was like, wow, Chelsea. You, you're like, you're like a really good person, and I'm not. You sure? And I didn't expect it, because I know my past, and I know hers. She has no business with a guy like me, unless it was like a ministry opportunity, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Appreciate y'all laughing at that. <clears throat> But she was saying in that moment, I, I choose you. Man, it, it gave me security, and, and that's my wife. We're married now. And, and that, but that was a defining moment. And, and guys, let me just be honest. Like this, this idea of the foreknowledge of God, that God would choose you. Like this is a, this is a very hot topic in our culture right now. And if you're not familiar with church, then... You can cash out right now, okay, or you can, uh, just, you can just check out right now. But if you're in church culture, if you've been in church culture for some time, like you know that this, this idea is such a hot topic. And, and Peter's going to talk about these sort of things, like you're chosen, you're elect, the foreknowledge of God. And let me just tell you what our uh, conclusion is, is that when the, Bible, uh, and, and when, when the Bible preaches that we make a choice, then we're going we're gonna to preach you make a choice. And so in Joshua, when the Bible preaches that, uh, that you you need to choose this day who you're going to serve. I'm going to passionately stand on the, the authority of God's word and say, you got to make a choice. You need to choose this day who you're going to serve. It's up to you. The ball's in your court. But when the Bible says that you have been chosen, we're going to stand on the authority of God's word. And we're going to say, man, you have been chosen. You have been preordained by the foreknowledge of God. You have been prognosed by God. And there is a tension in scripture. And just to be honest, TBH, hashtag TBH, I don't mind the tension. Because at the end of the day, I'm going to preach what the text says. And check this out. I don't mind the tension. <clears throat> this may sting. 
Because there's some things about God that I don't know. And I'm okay with serving a God that may be outside of my pay grade. And there's a lot of things about God's words that, that, are, that are mysterious. And we're going to look here in a couple of weeks where it says that angels, they long to know some things. And they've been kicking it with God for a long time. And they still ain't got it figured out. So who am I to say, yeah, it fits perfect in this. And so when the Bible preaches choice, we're going to preach choice. When the Bible preaches chosen, we're going to preach chosen. you got to rest in his foreknowledge. And then secondly, you got to rely on his sanctifying power is what the scripture says. we got to rely on the sanctifying power of the spirit. Man, the spirit... It has set you apart. That word sanctification, not a common word in our, our vernacular, but it literally means that you've been set apart really for the purpose of some sort of training. Like you've been set apart for a purpose. It's like that really nice, uh, well, maybe not even nice glass that you like to drink out of. You know, like you live with a group of guys and like you know that like that's your glass. Like for me, it's a glass with a Texas um, state and flag on the side. Um, because, you know, I've tried and I've cried like George Strait said, but I can't see Texas from here. So at least let me have my glass with Texas on it. You know what I'm saying? Y'all don't know. Anyway, and so, like, that's my, like, and, and so that glass has been set apart for me. It's been set apart, apart for a purpose. And so I love this idea that we need to rely on his sanctifying power. I had a privilege um, when I was in college to, uh, to be chosen to, to represent our nation in a football game that was being played in Mexico. And so um, I got to play with guys from all over the nation, um, the guys that were playing at my level, and, and we gathered about 50 men from across the nation, and uh, we got to go down to Aguas Calientes for the week and uh, train together. And we got, man, it was so, like, just, it was so humbling for me to be chosen to be a representative of, a, of our nation in a foreign land and to be set apart, not only chosen, but to be set apart to execute um, uh, plays and tackles, and so I don't know, I'm right here, um, the guy with the trophy, I'm on his, uh, his two o'clock, that's your boy right there, and so um, that's where I'm at, and, and it was really just a, a huge privilege, and that's the idea that, that you have the privilege of being selected to represent uh, God's kingdom in a foreign place, but you haven't just been privileged, you're not uh, of the upper uh, uh, class privilege that comes with entitlement, man, you've been privileged to be set apart for a purpose. you got a job to do. If you are here and you're a believer with Christ, man, you got to rest in his foreknowledge, but you can't stay there. you got to be relying on the fact that you've been set apart for a purpose. It's time to quit being lazy. God, if he has saved you, if he has changed you, he's done it so that you can be a changing agent in the world. But you can't be a catalyst in our culture if you're not willing to be sanctified by the power of the Spirit of God. So why have we been chosen? What it says here in the text is that, that he's saying to the chosen people, to the elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit. He says that, that you have been chosen for obedience. Say obedience. Say it like you mean in obedience. Thank you. Obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So the last thing, man, we got to receive Christ. We got to receive Christ. 
This word obedient is the same word that is used um, to describe uh, children should obey their parents. And, and so it's this idea like, hey, hey, you've got to listen up. If you want to know who God has created you to be, you've got to listen up. Where do we listen up to? How about we start with the word of God? Uh, we, we printed these First Peter devotionals, man. We would love to see you guys take, we have 20 of them, maybe 18 now. We would love to see you take them. If you are not in God's word and you don't know how to study God's word or you want to take it to another level and you want to get like something tangible, like a physical, you know, like kind of devotional, we have those printed for you. We put together a First Peter devotional. If you want to uh, uh, take your, your devotional life to a next level, man, take that memory card and memorize something uh, out of First Peter and realize who you are and your identity. If you want to take your devotional level to the next level, uh, your devotional life to the next level, chime in tomorrow, Facebook Live. Uh, we're going to be on uh, Facebook Live at 1130. You want to ask some questions about something I said tonight, that's your time to have some dialogue with us and, and maybe just get a recap of the message. But Christ is wanting you to receive him by obedience, to be cleansed by the sacrifice of Jesus and to listen to his word. And when we do this, when we are resting and relying and receiving, what Peter would say is that you get grace and peace multiplied to you. Don't you want grace? My dad died. He drank himself to death looking for peace because he didn't know who he was and who he was created, created to be. And some of you are here tonight and you haven't had a good night's rest in as long as you can remember because you have no peace. And there's this internal aching. It's a violation of your conscience. It's a soul, like you're having a hard time diagnosing it. But you have no peace. So I think there's three types of people here tonight. And the first type of person, I think you're the rock solid person is what I call you, man. You, you love the Lord, man. You are like sold out, man. You're living for the Lord. Like you're like, yes, amen, preach that white boy. You're doing all this stuff. I mean, you're like raising hands in worship. You're like, you know what, you, you're excited about words like foreknowledge and prognosis and stuff like that. Like you rock solid, man. Like this, that's just you. And then there's others of you, man, like you're just, you're kind of checking Christ out. Like maybe you don't know Christ. You, you can't answer who do you say Jesus is. Like you don't know that, the answer to that question. We're glad you you're here. We want you to be here. Come. Uh, you don't have to uh, believe to belong at Paradigm. Uh, we're Kansas City's young adult ministry, and what that means is that we are not exclusive uh, to people who don't believe like us. We want you to belong with us, and then we think that that's going to lead to a different belief in time, and we think that that will then lead to a different behavior in time. You ain't got to clean your act up or hide your tattoos from us. Come on in. We love you, who you are. Come on in, and, and we're excited that you're here, and, and that may be you. You're in that second category, but I think... I just have a sneaky suspicion that some of us have come in here tonight and we've forgotten who we are. Like maybe you had that moment, like maybe you were in middle school, uh, you know, or, or in high school and you, were at, you had that camp moment. I mean, we grew up in this camp culture. Or maybe like you had a conversation with a campus minister when you were in college. Or, or maybe it was like that really crazy that you really didn't understand. But like he was kind of offensive, but he was, he was also kind of attractive, like the way that he did life. And like you saw him like live so simply that one of your coworkers, you're like, hey, man, why do you, like what's going on with you? Why are you so just constant through all these changes in our work? And he's like, man, let me tell you, it's the Lord. You're like, the Lord, like, the, you know. 
like the singer of the Lord? I don't know who you're talking about here, right? And like he was like, no, like the Lord Jesus. You're like, okay, tell me more. And like he shared the gospel. And, then, and, and, but, and then, but, but maybe something somewhere along the way, like a bad decision or a season of sin. I don't know what happened. But maybe you've been through kind of a, a rut. And maybe you come in here and, and you're in that rut today. Like you've forgotten uh, who you are. And I, I love this because, because Peter, like no one else, we know about Peter's story. And Peter is such an encouragement to me because Peter is like, he messes up so much. And I'm like, thank you. Because I mess up so much. <laughs> and so this just gives me a lot of encouragement when I see other people fail. And uh, I'm just kidding. But seriously, it does. Because I need Jesus and I fail a lot too. And so anyway, we see Peter, um, he had forgotten who he was. And what we see here in John chapter 21, verse 15, Jesus, he comes into contact with Peter and he says, uh, so when they had eaten breakfast, this is Jesus and his homeboys, Jesus said to Simon Peter, and I want you to notice this, he says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't say, Peter, do you love me more than these? See, see, Jesus is acknowledging that Peter had forgotten the name that he had been given by Jesus. Let me give you a little backstory. What's happened is that Jesus, at this time, he has been, he has been crucified. And on the night before he was crucified, killed on a cross, um, he said, look, I'm about to die. And Peter was like, I'm about to die with you, man. We ride and die like Paul Washer and Triple uh, X. Um, you know, and, and so we ride and die, and uh, we together, we end it like, you my boy, Jesus. Like, man, I'm about, and, and Peter even, he tried to cut one of the Romans uh, uh, guards' heads off, and he wasn't even a good, uh, like, Knife's men, he had cut the guy's ear off trying to get his head. That's not a good aim. Anyway, and so Jesus fixed that situation, kind of miraculously weird detail. And, uh, but Peter, when it came time to Jesus um, being uh, crucified, Peter was punked by a schoolgirl. She was like, hey, aren't you from Galilee? And he's like, nah, girl, sh- no, shut up, man. Check, check this out. No. Nah. I don't know that, man, you know. And three times Peter denies that he even knows Jesus. And Jesus, it seems like all is lost when he's killed on the cross. And so what Peter does is he just goes back to his old way of life. The guy that was like, Jesus, you are the Christ, son of the living God. I'm about to build the church. Peter, the guy that walked on water. Peter, the guy that was like there for Jesus' entire life. Peter, the guy that the miraculous catch that Jesus, I mean, Peter saw feed 5,000, raise dead people, Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, inner circle, he had forgotten all of those things and he went back to his old ways. And so Jesus says, Simon, do you love me? He says, yes, I do love you. And in this moment in John 21, he reinstates Peter. And Peter goes on to become one of the greatest men of our faith. There was another Peter that had forgotten who he was. And and so people had to help him figure out who he was. And, And this Peter, we know him as Peter Pan. And Peter Pan is this, uh, this character that comes from a, a Scottish novelist of the early 1900s, a guy named uh, J.M. Barry. And, and there's been lots of renditions of Peter Pan, but perhaps my favorite rendition of Peter Pan is the movie Hook. Some excitement right over here, all right? <laughs> the spirit's moving. 
Robin Williams plays Peter Pan in this movie Hook. If you haven't seen it, let me just let you get caught up that Peter Pan has left Never Neverland and he's gone to back to England and he's created kind of an adult world for himself. He's grown up and he's gotten married and he has kids now and but Never Neverland is kind of in some trouble, and so they're like, man, Tinkerbell, Tink, uh, Julia Roberts, could you go, and could you get Peter Pan, Robin Williams, and, and so like she goes, and she, Tinkerbell, she goes and finds Peter, and, and she's like, hey, you're Peter Pan, and he's like, I don't know what you're talking about, I'm a dad, and anyway, kids, these two kids, and Peter, they go to Never Neverland, and and then Peter is, his kids get captured by Captain Hook. And, and Peter, he gets, he gets taken to uh, the Lost Boys camp. And the Lost Boys were like, that was like Peter's fam, Totlet's fam. It was awesome. Like they were a squad. And it was like they were boys back in the day. But now Peter's grown up. And so like the Lost Boys are like, man, you've forgotten who you are. Now there's this one scene where this really obscure Lost Boy, perhaps the weakest of them all, or maybe the holiest of them all. He has an interaction with Peter. And I want y'all to watch this clip. I don't know if you noticed what was happening, but his little hands, they, they grabbed Peter's face and, and they looked beyond what he had become. And, and he helps him realize who he was made to be. So some of you have come in here tonight and you have a name tag on your chest and the, the, name, the name tag is just a representation of, of who we identify as. But, but the reason why most of us have come in here tonight, the reason why you do what you do is because some of you, you have forgotten who you are. And, and the reason why some of you do what you do is because you don't know who God's made you to be. And so you're wearing a name tag, but really you're wearing a label that is represented by some of these things that we laid out. And that is your identity. And I, just a newsflash, man, if you're finding your security in these things, it's like chasing the wind. What I want to invite everybody to do is just to bow your head. Uh, you can close your eyes if you want to, but I just want to finish up by, by saying a couple of things. And I want you to use your imagination tonight. And, and I want you to imagine that you're Peter in that clip. You're Peter Pan. Now I want you to understand that we serve a God, we serve a, an almighty God that looks beyond what you have become so that he can restore you to who he made you to be. 
I want you to understand that there is a God who so loved you that he offered up willingly his own son just to be with you. And that this was his plan before you were ever made. That he prearranged a moment like tonight so that the hands of the Holy One could grab your face and look into the eyes of your hearts. And though you may have forgotten who you were made to be, he can gaze into your soul and he can speak who you are. God's words, they create worlds. And the labels that we may have brought in here tonight, God can undo them and he can redefine them. Who are you? Maybe God wants to give you a new name tonight. So I want you to imagine that God, in this moment, I don't know how you imagine God, but maybe God, he's just grabbing your face and he's looking into your soul. I want you to imagine this. God knows everything about you. He's omniscient. He knows your thoughts. He knows what you've done in the secret. He knows the things, the stains that are on your hands metaphorically. He knows the brokenness that is in your family generational brokenness. He knows the number of hairs that are on your head. He knows you better than you know you. He knows your future. And I want you to imagine that he's grabbed your face and he's looking into the eyes of your soul, that piercing gaze. But that he has the innocence and the holiness of a child. Not a mean, condemning gaze but one of innocence and hope-filled. And he says, oh, there you are. Oh, there you are, child of mine. Let that wash over your soul. Oh, there you are, holy child of God. Oh, there you are, Who are you? Lord Jesus, I pray that you would speak a better word over us, God. God, I ask for the young man or the young woman that has walked in here tonight. God, for, for that you would give them clarity, that you would give them revelation. God, I pray that you would speak to them. And God, I ask that you would Allow the, the things that you say about them just to wash over them tonight. That there would be a new song that's being written in the house tonight. That you would ignite passion in the hearts of the young adults in this place. And we would set Kansas City on fire. Your words create worlds. You have the authority to speak new names tonight. And I cast out a spirit of unworthiness. God, I pray for the man that's just beat down by his false identities and his lack of security. God, that you would speak to him tonight. Holy Spirit, speak. 
May we be a people who walk in the security knowing that we have been loved by the King of glory. Help us, God. In Jesus' name I pray.